0: Data Protection Breakfast Club. Talking with Jurgen van Staden, uh, Verizon Media, uh, formerly with Facebook, Facebook Network Advertising Initiative. I got my GPR shirt on. I'm <laughs> ready to roll into privacy.
1: Looking uh, good.
0: Yep. So, what do you want to say about Jurgen before we get into that with him? No, nah,
1: man. Jurgen, he's one of the smart guys. Um, you, you know, he's super technical and, uh, I don't know where he gets that from. Do you know if his undergrad is like, is he a technical guy? I don't know.
0: I think he's super sharp. And now when we talk with him, um, I was always been impressed by how quickly he learned the tech, which is super difficult and complex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and his background just, uh, he's a dedicated, you know, lawyer, parent, like he's just, yeah. he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on and manages to, to juggle it all always. And, and just be one of the, the coolest, nicest people.
1: He's very laid back, man, but he's got a big brain. And uh, you know, he and I have had some kind of like sidebars at conferences and stuff. And we go deep, deep in the weeds on, particularly ad tech, man. The guy knows his stuff, so yeah, he's. It's he's, gonna, it's gonna be fun chatting with him. Late night, I drinks with him. That's right. Like, got like five bourbons in. We're in there talking about programmatic. You know, <laughs> like it's. The, what's,
0: <laughs> what's that bar in D.C. that's so good with all the like? wood walls in that super old hotel
1: shout oh out. what is the shout name out. of
0: that place that place well, we'll yeah get, we've
1: been there together we've we'll been there together
0: someday those bartenders are all like 30 years experience you know
1: yes 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 and and we it, it, oh God, what is the name of that place i when we, we got to write it down in the captions later but right. um super shout out to dc before we transition you know what i was just thinking about andy you see my little i've had these videos playing in a couple episodes yeah. And I'm like, I can't wait till we get our DMCA takedown requests <laughs> because I, I'm going to have to turn them off. So um, I just snitched on myself, but. Um, we'll just put yeah. a square over it. We'll just, we'll just blur yeah, it out.
0: But it was Tubbs on the Miami. <laughs> <website, so. laughs> Tubbs was
1: good. I literally am like, what kind of lawyer am I? Am I here playing all this copywritten content on my own I thing? Do you know what? Hey man, we're rogues. Anyway, all right. All right, let's talk to Jürgen. All
0: right, <laughs> later. All right, here we are, Data Protection Practice Club. The episode is the Goonies with Jürgen Ben Staden of Verizon Communications. Never uh,
1: heard of that company.
0: <laughs> formerly Facebook. Uh, formerly, he was at Facebook prior to that. Uh, where, where prior to that? NAI prior to that? Yeah, yeah. Network Advertising Initiative. And um, we're excited to be here. And I, I picked the Goonies just thinking that it sort of fit like the NAI mainly because of like ragtag group on like a <laughs> difficult adventure, you know, against, uh, against, you know, like pending regulation. And, and little did I know, it's like one of your favorite movies of all time. Like
2: of all time. I think it might, might have actually been the very, so in South, I grew up in South Africa and we always got movies months and months after they actually released in the United States. And so I think the Goonies was probably the first movie I ever saw in the movie theater as a kid. Awesome. And, and it, uh, it was a, a, we had like um, uh, Frito-Lay chips called the Goonies that were like in the shape of little skulls. Um, and I ate those without ceasing when I was a kid. And I love them. And so um, The the Goonies is definitely one of my all time favorite movies.
0: I watched it again like a year ago with my wife. And uh, like, I'd say most of it holds up. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Well, it's interesting just to sort of see like where everybody is, you know, had ended up. Um, You know, I mean, there's Josh Brolin who plays Thanos (laughs) in today's culture. (laughs) And he was like the heartthrob back in The Goonies.
1: I I, uh you know if Goonies is one of those movies I haven't seen in a long time I'm an epic fail but I remember really liking it this is my feedback on Goonies I just wish there was like a couple of Latin kids in there you know but we'll let that slide we'll let that slide
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's great well let's hey let's start let's start uh talking about we usually just chat with people about like kind of their background and Um, yours is really interesting. So, um, let's, let's start, like, how'd you get to
2: Tulsa from South Africa? Start there and long story, but I'll give you the short version. Um, so I ended up, uh, coming over on, well, I came over on a tennis scholarship I played college tennis, but before I get there, um, you know, this was 1993, 1994, um, the 95 directive wasn't even in force (laughs) yet. Um, The internet hadn't really taken off the way that we understand it today. Nothing was really online. Nobody was online, certainly not in South Africa. So for me, um, you know, I had no idea where Oklahoma was. I had no idea um, what I was getting myself into. It was literally just a, hey, here's a tennis scholarship, go play college tennis, go travel around for a couple of years. Um, You know, I heard school wasn't the most difficult and challenging. So you can kind of like travel around and do some undergrad, multiple choice exams, and then, you know, um, see the countryside and see the country and, and, and do stuff. And that really was the draw. Uh, and then I landed in Oklahoma, um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma of all places, in the middle of the country, not at all what I wanted or expected um, to have happen, but um, it worked out and ended up, Uh, deciding to stay only because it was always better for me to stay in the US than to go back to South Africa in the long run and uh, you know several years later went from there I went from undergrad into law school and then through sort of a very strange set of circumstances had to go and study more and got a master's in computer science and then from there ended up working into uh, working in the cybersecurity space for a couple of years and then ended up going into uh, uh, DC where I got a a master's of law in intellectual property. And that's where I sort of started piecing together this cybersecurity, legal privacy uh, stuff. Um, And it was also around the time that platforms were generating an enormous amount of attention from consumers, Facebook was going to go public, went public in 2012, Um, other companies, obviously Google had been public for a while. And I was fascinated by this thing of privacy and, and how these companies make money using cookies, um, which I think led to the next thing.
0: I, I, I came across you in 2014 at the NAI conference. When I joined DataZoo, the CEO was like, privacy is a big thing, we're part of the NAI. We haven't had anyone really like going and engaging with them. Would you go? You know, go and kind of like, make sure we're represented there so myself and um and one of the product managers who maybe you guys have met adam markey and i went to uh the conference and and we saw i remember seeing you on stage at like talking on one of these these panels and i was so early in my ad tech career like that i just was was blown away by how technical you were for for an attorney like I wasn't necessarily used to that. And now you see that more because I think it's, it's becoming certainly in tech companies becoming really, really important to understand the technology. But I was, I was really blown away by the way you understood the tech really well. And that led to, and then we started working together on the actual compliance stuff that DataZoo was doing. And so then I started interacting like with you directly on, on kind of like trying to help the company get make sure that all the the policies were were clear and that we were um following the rules and things and so i was just impressed by your technical acumen at that time too and didn't even think to myself we'd become friends so i'm glad
2: but but yeah d- definitely the better part of the story was becoming friends out of it um for sure not just with you but with pedro as well and with so many other i'm
1: trying people. to re- i've been trying to remember how we met i don't remember
2: i think it, I, it was um, I think we knew each other um, probably via reputation for a while, and then I think so. Yeah, uh, I think it was IAPP where we.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I was thinking Privacy Prom. I was trying yeah. to figure out if that's where it was, but I just feel like we've known each other a long time, and I don't remember exactly how it happened. But who cares? It's for friends. I don't care.
2: I think Privacy Prom was like the, the first official, you know, let's like say, our first date. What was our first date? It was our first day. Yeah, yeah. That was our good. first day. We got go together over some drinks. Did you? Uh, That's right. I, that sounds right. <laughs> Were you
0: the main point of contact with respect to Blue Kai and the compliance work with NAI, or was that someone else? When I, um, I, mean, I,
1: I, I I want to tell you it was Mark Parton. It was Mark. Might
0: yeah. have been. What I want
1: to tell you, it was Mark Parton.
0: Shout out because to Mark. Yeah, yeah, shout out to
1: Mark. He's now like the big chief privacy boss at Oracle. That's my guy, man. Yeah. Mark. One day, one day, you guys, I'm gonna throw Mark under the bus. 450 years ago, Mark and I had a conversation about uh, hashing and what it meant, and it was I who illuminated him on how hashing works. Look at that technical lawyer, big hot shot, fancy tech. This is way before it was like common parlance. So uh, Mark is World obviously owns, brilliant.
2: Well, CPO owes you his job.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: basically, Mark owes me everything. <laughs> <laughs>
2: gonna text Mark off to this and, 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 yeah, yeah. and he instance to this conversation. Yeah, yeah.
1: You uh, no, Mark, Mark is a great guy. And um, I'm sure he's got Oracle in tip top shape these days. He's well deserved,
2: smart, brilliant guy. Yeah. yeah, He's a great guy. Um, did you go into the did you go into the algorithms or did you just go into the process of hashing?
1: Just the process nothing too deep. I can't go that deep yeah, I'm listen I am not the uh, technical savant type, but um just kind of just enough to make sure you can apply the law that's yeah. how deep if yeah. that makes sense
0: yeah. how did how did you get up to speed so quickly because like for background for the people that are watching like you were for a period of time leading the compliance conversations with the tech companies that were um, complying with the NAI's code and you know, there are technical components to that. So how did you get like grossed up on that tech so quickly or maybe it wasn't quick?
2: <clears throat> well, I mean, I, if, if I came in, first of all, I don't think I would have gotten that job if I didn't understand the, the tech as well as I did. Um, but that for me is probably where it all started. You know, the technology works in a very specific way and once you understand that part of it, everything else sort of f- f- falls into place, for, for, for better or for worse. Um, I spent an enormous amount of time making sure that I understood the historical policy development and why decisions were made the way that they were made, rather than trying to understand the technology At the same time, I just focused on the policy piece, and as the policy piece worked out, and as I got into it, um, I started figuring out how the tech, uh, why the policy was made the way that it was, because in part the tech worked the way that it did, Um, and that's sort of, you know, that that was the approach that I took, Um, and it was it was a you know it was also a different time it it you know ad tech was. sort of the, the center of a lot of monetization online. Everything was a lot more distributed. There were a lot of competitors. Uh, some of the companies, the larger companies um, were not as large then as they are today. And there were, I think, some other companies that were much larger that have now sort of reduced in size. Um, and there's been some consolidations as well. So it was a lot. More, it was a very vibrant space, and at the same time, while it was so vibrant, there were a lot of people who would be willing to sit down and have a conversation with you, and talk through it. Um, it hadn't yet transitioned into sort of the ad tech that we know today, which is people don't really want to address it. They don't really want to speak to it. It's sort of seen as uh, the the business model that. Um, is full of evil and um, negativity rather than something that has generated the, the free access to online content. Sort of the one-eyed Willy of privacy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you get the goodies oh, riches. <laughs> Pedro, Pedro has called it the Kanye West of privacy, which we keep coming back to because the way he described it is ad tech is is solve so many complex problems, but there's a little bit of belligerence in there. And there's a little bit of like, um, uh, sort of pushing. Well, disregard,
1: disregard for expectations, right? Um, and I'd I, mean, say like- What do you mean
2: disregard for expectations?
1: I think privacy, excuse me, uh, ad tech pushes the envelope of what's normal with regard to how data gets used in innovative ways that people might not expect and I think that's why I call it the Kanye West like Kanye West took rap music in a direction that nobody thought was possible mm-hmm. kind of like an introspective emotional depressive type of music and uh, you know when he was doing it people thought he was insane but now it's the norm like all of rap music is essentially introspective depressed 21 year olds right and so like I think ad tech does the same in, with respect to pushing the limits and boundaries of what, what data governance is and how data can be leveraged, that's my take on it.
2: Yeah, I, I you know, may I, I agree that it is maybe not the way that consumers or the data is processed not in the way that consumers necessarily expect, but it's it's really at its core is a very simple and straightforward process. Um, It's not something that, um, I think it's getting a lot more complex given some of the challenges facing the industry for sure. And there are new methods of, of trying to resolve or solve for identity. But when it comes to the act of ad tech, it's simply just a matter of saying, here's an ad unit, let me pass this along to a partner who wants to create a marketplace for other companies to try and buy that ad space. And then, you know, the, the highest bidder, if it's open marketplace, highest bidder gets it.
0: Why hasn't the the world sort of resolved this yet? Like in the sense that um, when I left ad tech and went more towards, you know, marketing technology and first party data, the, the idea in my mind was okay. Like I'm in the context of session M, it was loyalty program. Like I'm getting an opt-in from somebody, they're opting into a loyalty program, their data is used a certain way. Why can't we get there in advertising? Why are we not at a place where we can get an opt-in from someone on a one-to-one basis? All right, all right like I'm gonna get some ad targeting here. I know I'm gonna. And is it just like that the ultimate other uses are
2: too complex to explain to people? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think at the end of the day, people don't really care. You know, when you, when you read a disclosure, um, n- you know, nobody cares really what those disclosures say. Now, I know that's not a great argument when it comes to establishing consent and a bunch of other things that we need in the space. But the reality is that when Apple comes out with a new update for its iOS, I don't read any of the terms. And that's arguably far more sensitive and far more involved than my, you know, whether or not I get some targeted ads. Um, I just think consumer behavior is that we want the thing that we want right then and there. And we're not really interested in reading through disclosures. And uh, we, we want to just go on with our business. Life is busy and it's taxing. And I don't want to have to deal with all this extra mental burden of reading and making decisions because all I want is, like, I just want to move on with my day. Um, and so I think part of it is that consumers don't really care. And part of it is that, who really wants to sit and explain the complexity of this space? Right? Like, it is complex, the space is complex. The act of ad tech and, and delivering an ad is not that complex, but the space is complex. And the different partners are complex. And the interrelationships between the different partners is very complex. Um, And I think people just sort of recognize that consumers, they haven't had to explain it in the past. And so nobody really has tried and you don't really get into that place where you have to explain everything down to its fine detail and nor should you really. I mean, if people want to find out, sure they can, but to what degree do people really want to understand that in the context of all right, I'm gonna get a couple of ads on a page where I'm gonna read some content or watch a video. That seems like in Europe, they do. <laughs> they do, they do. Um, but you,
1: know, you know, but there's also like, the, it, when we have uh, all heard this said, and I have trouble with it conceptually, which is the creepy factor of ad tech, What's creepy? Like, I, I, you know, like what, what, is that, what drives that creepiness? I'm not sure. I'm, I know it's there, but I don't know what, I don't know if anyone's articulated exactly what creates that unease. Like, I think we were talking offline before we went, we, we started recording about um, the social dilemma and how people are responding to that and changing behaviors and changing engagement styles with platforms, whatever. Some of that comes from creepiness. What is this creepiness that makes everybody concern like what, what do you have a thought on that i think
2: so I, th- <clears throat> I think a part of it is that people don't like the idea that different companies or whether they're known or unknown probably more so with the unknown um can quote-unquote track them from one side to the other right like that's that's something that i think people just don't they don't like they don't like the concept of <clears throat> When they're confronted with the reality that if they go to one website, that there's actually other companies watching what they're doing, and that that happens on every website that they go to, for the most part, I think that bothers people. They don't know what it's what's going on. They don't know why they're there. They don't understand the use case for it, um, and they don't really want to spend any time trying to understand it either. And I think that's I think that bothers people because they equate what's happening with real world situations that are similar you don't go into a store and experience all of the different companies that watch you on a digital storefront track you in a real storefront so why would you need to have that like why are those people there following you digitally when that doesn't happen in in the real world the
1: reality let me push back though let me let me push back on human beings there because two things when you walk into the store there's an actual creepy guy in a dark room in that building watching a bunch of screens while, as you move around through the store and making note of your actual activities in the store. And that's been happening forever, right? Like so you're actually, you know when you any store you walk into, someone's surveilling you, it's being recorded, and there's a human being sitting there watching it most of the time. As I walk through my neighborhood, I look outside and I see my neighbor's front doors. And there are video cameras in every single front door. So if I walk my dog, whatever I'm wearing, what, you know, it, like what kind of attitude I'm posturing that day, everything is visible nobody's complaining about the creepiness of those things why ad tech specific i agree with you that people have that concern but why specifically in advertising does it you ring all these bells
0: when you walk into hot topic which you do all the time all the time and, and, and <laughs> someone walks up to you from hot topic and says do you accept this beacon and sticks it on your back and then that actual beacon follows you around you know recording every store you went to it's a little different it's a different it's a different dynamic what you've described is you're you're not wrong at all that there's a camera there's a sign that says you know this is recorded for security purposes the assumption is security purposes in that store not like do you accept these cookies and I strap, a, strap something to you and then that goes across and follows you. I think Juergen's right. Like, I don't think people get that.
2: Right. And then, you know, the, the, the use case would be, here's the beacon strapped to your back so that the next store that you go to, you will be shown all of the things that you touched and all of the things that you looked at while you were in the previous store. Right, that, that somehow all of those items will magically reappear in the overhead space above the new thing that you're looking at in a far, in, in the new store. All of a sudden you'll get this, hey, blinking reminder of the shirt that you looked at or yeah, I dressed up as Mikey from the Goonies for this, if you can't tell. So I now fully expect to get, I've now been retargeted with Goonies t-shirt ads all over on all of my surfaces and all of my experiences. Like anything, like, it, like a lot of that
0: stuff works really well. And so yeah. I think the problem is there's there so many times I can tell you guys, and it's not just because I used to work in this field, like where I'm in market for something. And like, here's a perfect example. Right when, uh, you know, toilet paper was at, was difficult to find for a period of time. I was Googling around, looking for toilet paper, and where did I figure out where to buy toilet paper? Instagram. I got a <laughs>
1: bunch of ads.
0: I was like, you know, holy shit, here's a bunch of toilet paper. I clicked on it, and I had toilet paper. You had but, toilet paper ads on Instagram? I did, I did, and it worked. Wow.
1: Yeah. But here's the thing, here's the thing, here's the thing. <laughs> I understand that the, uh, like, people's reaction to having their behavior changed in ways they don't understand is going to make them nervous. Um, I don't think that that's what gives you the creepy factor of ad tech. And I don't think that that makes ad tech much more different than the surveillance apparatus at the shopping mall. Um, but, but to your point that it works well, what well, it doesn't always work well. Cause I got Donald Trump following me all over the internet. Every time I go on YouTube, I got fucking I got Donald Trump staring at me in the face. Hey, they're I gonna find you,
2: that. man. They're
1: going so, Donald Trump's following me all over Instagram and the internet. I don't. I'm definitely not gonna vote for Donald Trump. I'm the least likely voter in the history of the world to vote for Donald Trump. And I gotta put up with this crap all day long. And like, so it doesn't always work that well. You could stay six
0: feet from your screen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's no, right. No, it doesn't. I got
0: just. Well, so what do you think, Jürgen? What do you think about like the transition from the third party cookie? Like, well, what are we, like, this is, a, this, is, this is, what are we, like, what's next? Because what's next
2: is not going to be really fundamentally different, is it? So, well, I, I want to come, I'll answer that in a second, but let me just go back to what Pedro was saying, because I, I think he's right. It's not always that good. It's not always that effective. And the use cases that we use the data data for, is, is varied, right? It's retargeting, it's targeting, it's measurement effectiveness, it's attribution, it's also content personalization and a whole bunch of other data elements that get used to inform system optimization generally. So it's, it's you know, the, the, the creepiness, I think, in part, comes from the fact that you, you, you're trading, You know your experience with your computer is something that you don't always think of as being shared with a large group of people. When you go outside and you go into a store, you recognize there's an element of being in public and you recognize that you're going into a different entity's physical operations and physical space and they've got certain rights when it comes to providing safety, insurance, making sure that they understand you know, how consumers interact with their their goods and their services within those premises, et cetera, et cetera. And there's all these things that we've learned over time are okay, and we're okay with it. And we understand it, whether it's by education, training, or implicitly, or otherwise. We recognize that that's a part of that deal. But we haven't always thought of the internet that way. We thought for a, for a long time, oh, this is a way for me to go to a website and see something, and I can look at it, on the confines of my couch or my living room, I can be sitting in my pajamas, I could be wearing nothing, and I, this is what I can be doing, right? While I'm while I'm uh, engaging with all this information. And you don't associate the fact that there are other companies um, or entities trying to do a lot of the same things they're doing in the real world, but do it in a new form and a new technology. And granted, when you're in a different physical space, mental space, as you're interacting with that content. And I think that that adds to it. I'm not saying that's the only reason. Um, Certainly, I think a lot of people made the argument that it's it's what's creepy is that you're actually interacting with a whole group of other people, um, not just with the entity that you think you're engaging with when you go to an online store or an online website. I struggle with that framing, personally, because um we all business is never just about one entity that you're interacting with right you always you always have sub processors or service providers or other entities that help you provide the service that you or the goods that you want to provide it's just you interact with people the consumers interact with them at different times and in different ways um but in terms of like where we're going um andy i i think a big part of it is um going to become far more personal, right? The cookie was, and, and remains, the third party cookie is a very, um, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an identifier that in, has a lot of privacy built into it. You can clean it, uh, clear it, you can block it, you can delete your cookies by clearing it, and theoretically, all the data associated with it. And then there are self-regulatory rules that prohibit the linking of that data with real personal information, personally identifiable information. And that's how the industry had sort of built itself up and said, look, there are certain protections because this is a different type of a technology and because we are collecting this information, let's put in certain protections. And those protections are no linking back to PII, You've got certain prohibitions around what you can do with the data when it comes to healthcare data, for example, or the creation of health segments, other segments provide that transparency, provide the user control um, and and give people that robust disclosure. So all of the ads have the notices in them and the pages where data is being collected have those notices and the controls and industry controls that actually work. Um, And now we're going into a space where it's all going to go server side. So there's going to be less transparency. There's going to be maybe less control. Um, and it's all going to be tied to PII because it's the only way that you're going to be able to target people with ads that are valuable, um, right? Advertisers have this expectation that they can reach their audiences. Mm-hmm. So we swapped. It's really like we're swapping The
0: the lack of clear identification of a cookie for transparency and control effectively right because you've got if you're if we're going to move to a new model and there's going to be More linking to first party information, then it's just going to be incumbent like GDPR and, and other laws are going to push platforms and companies into you know, radical candor in their privacy policies, transparency, like things that they, uh, features that they're gonna have to enable. I'm not saying everyone's gonna do it, everyone's gonna do it perfectly, but um, that's, I mean, that's, is that the trade-off? That's
2: gonna happen? I I, I think the trade-off is maybe gonna be worse than that because where everything is pseudonymized right now, and yes, there are people who were not keeping the data pools in a pseudonymized fashion, they were linking data back to PII. Um, But the industry as a whole was operating under these pseudonymous data pools. That's gonna go away, right? Everything now is going to get linked to a hashed email or a hashed phone number, to Pedro's point earlier on. And it's not just gonna be cookie ID 1234 on this browser, and cookie ID 456 on a different device or a different browser. And my information is sort of broken up and distributed out between the different data pools. And maybe somewhere along the line, somebody's linking that data together, but it's not really that certain that they're linking it together. Um, And even if they are, it's probabilistic for the most part. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's also all instantaneously removable by the fa- simple fact that you can just delete your cookies and clear your browser cache. Now, everything is going to be tied to a a hashed y- identifier that is linkable,
1: individual identifier
2: specific individual whether it's your desktop your laptop your iPad your your other tablet device your phone your car whatever it is it's all going to be an email address that gets hashed or a phone number that gets hashed and then everything's going to be tied to that which means it's going to be very hard to delete that information it's going to be very hard to remove that information Um, And it's going to increase the obligations on the companies that are building these sort of identity graphs and the pools of data to make sure that that data is secure, to make sure that that data isn't um, uh, uh, compromised in any shape or form. And that's gonna create, I think, additional complexity and burden on them and potentially drive out a lot of competitors. Um, and what competition. You think, Pedro, what do you think, Pedro? Then, when you take what what Jürgen just said
0: and you layer in the CCPA and the uh, issues around data breach, there.
1: Well, the data breach problems are gigantic, but I think the battle lines. I agree with everything Jürgen just said as far as challenges presented by this movement away from cookies. Like I, some of the way that the cookie revolution is being framed. Is that you know it's a reformation and everyone's going to be safer when cookies disappear and the world's going to be a better place. But I think there are some components to you know the death of the third-party cookie that will bring some challenges. With that said, I think the battle lines have moved ahead of the cookie discussion altogether and of the identity for excuse me of the uh, identity versus uh, independent identifier conversation, and have moved to this other place, which is should companies be doing all of this stuff in the first place? Like, I think that that's where the conversation really is. You know, it, it, you know should Facebook, should, you know, I pick on Facebook, but should any company be able to develop these I, massive identity graphs with the amount of layers of information about you, right? One of the components of that question, if the answer is yes, um, is, well, now, what is the standard of care? Like how do they need to safeguard this? To so your question about data breaches, right? Like what becomes reasonable when a company has a hashed email address identity, identifier uh, of me and has 15, 15 20, 30 years of, uh, of signal tied to that, that they've been hoarding for marketing and content and you know, whatever other business purposes. Um, and now they have a data breach and they, You know, reverse engineering a hashed email address is not that hard because there is a finite universe of email addresses, right? So if your name is johnsmith at gmail.com, reverse hashing a hash to that email address is not that difficult because email addresses are known. It's not like social security numbers where we keep them secret. Email addresses are easy to guess and generally, well, you know, out in the public. Like my email address is published on my LinkedIn profile. It's not hidden. So I think it's going to be really complicated to develop a schematic or a standard that companies are asked to abide by when it comes to safeguarding the information and protecting from data breach and reacting to data breach and then what happens when you know it is leaked what happens when 15 20 years of my signal data is 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 is, is out in the public and especially when it's wrong, like, you know, um, or if it's right and it contains sensitive signal about me, right? You know, um, it's, it's, it's a tricky world. I mean, we're already there, but it gets worse to Jurgen's point when it's, it's, it's completely and unequivocally tied to an identifier that's tied to me, right? Um, very directly. That's my take, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I answered your data, Beach question, but I think it gets harder.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Pedro. Um, I I think it does. I think the risks increase and, you know, where, and and I almost think it's a bit of an unintended consequence of some of the battle lines between the browsers around trying to kill third party cookies. Um, I I think it's, you know, look, they're, they're, they've been very clear in the W3C ad working groups that they want to kill the ad tech business. Um, they, they hate the business model. They think it's terrible. They want to kill it. Um, the and, and and you can see, especially you know, just looking at iOS 14 and and sort of the the more recent updates where they clarify that you can't use uh, email or IP address hashed or otherwise if the user has not agreed to opt into not agreed to the tracking prompt. Um, you know, there is a concerted effort to try and prevent this from happening, but there are a lot of open questions um, that I think companies are going to push up against over the course of the next couple of years as they try to figure this out. And it may not be the best thing for privacy to have all these different companies pushing different directions, trying to come up with the latest and greatest uh, identity solution uh, when we had the solution that worked really well and companies and there was a, an established set of rules, everybody understood what they were and you could, you could actually work within that space, but It's, such a, is the- it's been a great
0: discussion. Uh, we we got to go soon, but so like um, it, it leaves a lot of open questions. It's really cool to, it'll be really cool to see what happens. Interesting to watch and um, I guess we should, I think we should close with the Goonies as well. Um, so what, what's your favorite line or scene from from the Goonies? Um, it doesn't have to relate to privacy at all. I think I just want to pay homage to the Goonies is so good.
2: I mean, there were so many, um, so many great quotes. So, so for those who are watching, uh, I think in, in prep for this, we, we sort of had a sheet of, of um, uh, Goonie quotes with some talking points, none of which we've gotten to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> as, is, as is the case with this group yeah. um, um, You know, I mean, the, the, the quotes are just, I, I, I think many of them are legendary from, you know, just sloth jumping down the, you know, the, the, the top of the, the sails right towards the end and he yells, hey, you guys, um, to, you know. Mikey making an impassioned plea about Goonies never say die um, to to the others in the group. Um, Or whether it's Chunk's soliloquy where the Fratellis are asking him to spill it and he says, fine, I'll spill it, I'll tell everything. And he starts from when he was in second grade and he talks through how he stole his uncle's toupee one day and used it at his beard while he played Moses in, the, in, in a school play. Um, or, or how he had sort of, the, you know, I think in seventh grade, he took a bag of fake puke and sort of acted like he was getting sick over a railing in a movie theater and, and splayed that all over everybody in the movie theater.
0: And everybody gets sick. I, I think the uh, never say die is perfect for the cookie. Yeah. The yeah. yeah. cookie discussion. I think we should leave it there, but thanks for joining us. Clearly, we picked the right movie. So, uh, yeah. uh, Awesome awesome to talk with you. Thanks for being on with us. Hey, guys. Thanks, bro.
2: Thank you so much. Great to see you. Stay well, keep well, and uh, all my best. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening.